0: here because free speech is under attack. We're here because people are being convinced that socialism works. We're here because people are being judged guilty until proven innocent. We are fighting back with facts. This is not a safe zone, so buckle up, Buttercup. This is the Raw Naked Truth. Inflation rising slowly, interest rates may be on a pause, and what's going on for company shareholders? All that and more on this edition of Wallet Watch. This is the Raw Naked Truth, and I'm your host, Eric Lopkin. And with me is Wallet Watch contributor Chris Calandra from Elliott Wealth Management. Chris, how are you doing
1: today? I am doing great. I'm so excited to uh, catch up with you today. It's been a little bit. It has, and, you know, there's a lot going on
0: with Money Matters. Let's start with inflation. We had the CPI number come out today, rising slower than expected, but still rising.
1: Yes, it is a stubborn issue, which was widely expected. You know, when you had inflation, Eric, go up as... Uh, fast and as strong as it did uh, for the back half of 21 and into the better part of 22, you know, it's not going to be easy to wrestle under control. And so prices are still going up. We still have inflation above what the Federal Reserve has targeted. I think they've targeted like two, two and a half. And we are well above that, two, two and a half percent. And we are well above that. Um, It's a stubborn, it's a stubborn issue. It's going to take a while to get under control. But on the positive side, Eric, is that the trend is your friend probably is consistently since the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter of last year, the inflation numbers have consistently come down. So the trend is your friend and that's really helped the markets. Uh, mount a comeback over these last eight or so months. So that's the good news.
0: Yes, I think it's important to point out, you know, what we really want to see at this point in the CPI uh, consumer price index and the producer price index are ideally negative numbers because when we have these, you know, oh, it's up 0.1% from last month. It's up 4% from a year ago. Well, a year ago, inflation was up, what was it, 8%, 7%. So we're not talking about numbers that are going up a little bit from a zero-point basis. We're talking about numbers that are still rising from what was very high-
1: inflation rates yeah that's right and uh, americans are feeling this still in their pocketbook to your point with the the, the most recent data that came out uh, that 0.1 percent number is as you said it's an increase which is bad but slower than expected yep. and slower than it had been so that's some good good news the thing is you still have food prices going up faster than that number it's been offset by energy prices coming down, which is welcome news. I would think, though, that some of that energy uh, price coming down for Americans is offset with um food and other items. so it's really it's really a mixed mixed blessing. I guess it's good energy is coming down because usually the spring and summer. There's a seasonality to gas prices often go up in the summer, as Americans tend to drive more, as an example. Uh, but this is tough on Americans, especially at the uh, lower end of the economic spectrum. These are These are difficult times, and these are budget-busting things we're talking about. And, Eric, amazingly, I think we agree on this. I'm shocked at how little the media focuses on this and how little the Biden administration is questioned about this. Now, I think we know the reason you and I are in agreement that the media is really an extension of the Democratic Party, the mainstream media, an extension of the Democratic Party. I'm still surprised that there's not more of a upswell of talk about the damage that this inflation is doing Especially to the lower rungs of the economic population in this country. Uh,
0: Yes, there is a lot of damage being done. And, you know, we've talked about this previously. There is a big difference between the CPI number, the PPI numbers, as they, you know, look from a statistical point of view and from an economic point of view versus the pain that's actually being felt by the American family, because, you know, consumer price index, producer price index, they don't focus on food, gas, you know, the consumables that people see and have to pay for every day. And you mentioned, you know, energy prices going down. I don't know how much longer that's going to be true now that Saudi Arabia has announced they're cutting back production.
1: Yeah, that is a good point. Uh, Energy, over the last stretch, energy prices coming down has really helped the mainline number. uh, And it's masked, at least in the numbers, not necessarily in everyone's everyday lives, has masked that food and other items are are still going up, typically at an amount greater than the mainline number. Energy has really helped a lot But that doesn't tell the whole story for everyday Americans and their budget and kitchen table kind of issues. Absolutely. And, you know,
0: those kitchen table issues are affected by a very complicated formula because it's not simply an inflation number. When you're going to the supermarket to buy food, that price, the cost of producing the food goes up as the as the cost of food for the animals food you know fertilizer goes up energy goes up but then you also have labor costs which even though wages have not been keeping pace with inflation they have still been going up which also raises the cost because the supermarket has to pay their employees more so they need to charge more for the food the farm needs to charge more because they have to you know pay their help more Wholesalers, the same thing. And all of those prices get passed on to the consumer.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's very well said. Uh, I'll come back to, though, if you're listening to this, it's not all bad. You know, I'm still encouraged, Derek, and optimistic because last uh, June, uh, inflation was running uh, over 9%. In September, it was still over 8%. 8%. So with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates uh, really swinging into action in a strong way, we've seen the trend go from plus nine, plus eight to seven to six to five, all the way down to four. If we look at May of 2022 versus May of 2023, inflation's 4%, which is still high and still doing damage like we talked about, but we are making progress uh we are making yes. progress and and that is something as as negative as we're talking about is is um a good thing and where we are today most people conventional wisdom would not have predicted that we came that we would come as far as we've gone on the inflation front we've made up a lot of ground in a short period of time and that deserves some celebration too i think
0: It does, and I think a lot of the credit for that goes to the Fed raising rates as aggressively as they did. And, of course, the Fed is today starting a two-day meeting. They're expected to pause those interest rate hikes. However, foreign Feds over the last week and a half surprised the world with more interest rate hikes. So do we have a feel for are we doing better than the rest of the world that we don't need those hikes anymore? Or is this just a temporary
1: breather for the Fed to take a look and see where we are? Yeah, a couple of things to unpack. You know, different countries have different situations, but um, the inflation, we're doing much better on the inflation front than a lot of other Western democracies Uh, like the United Kingdom. You know, they have a much nastier problem still with inflation than we do. So, you know, they they have their own troubles. I think inflation is like over 7% still in the UK. Um so they have a they have their own set of problems. So the pause that's expected the Federal Reserve to make. This will be the first time that they uh don't raise interest rates in quite a while. Uh, I don't forget the numbers, but I think they've raised the last 9 or 10 meetings in a row. Um, is a reflection of the trend that we've talked about a few times already today, Eric, combined with them wanting to wait and see how things play out. Because when they raise interest rates, they're trying to cool off the economy, slow the economy to help bring inflation down. But it takes some time for that action to work its way through the economy And it seems appropriate to me, I know it's sort of sport to complain about the Federal Reserve and they're often easy targets, but I think it makes sense that they pause to see how things play out, given that the trend has been in place for a while now, this downward trend, to wait and see how it plays out because they don't wanna raise interest rates too much, too fast and do unnecessary harm to the economy uh, so it's a delicate balance they're trying to strike. But again, it seems to me appropriate that they pause to see how things play out over the next couple of months, and how the previous interest rate hikes work their way through the economy, and how they impact inflation over the next few readings. Yeah,
0: I think you're absolutely right on that. You know, Fed bashing has become a popular sport. Oh, yeah. and. <laughs> But the and but, you know the problem is the Fed is a reactive entity. Yes. And everybody complains. Well, why didn't they? Why didn't they stop this earlier? Why did? Well, they don't really have the ability to stop these things earlier, and because it is such a delicate balance, it's easy to put too much enforcement in, put not enough enforcement in, make too much of a change. They don't have a crystal ball any more than the rest of us do. They're literally doing this trial and error and trying to hit a very narrow
1: target. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's clear, and most people would judge them badly for the lead up to this rampant inflation that we had. And I would imagine even... um, Chairman Powell would agree with that. I mean, they they missed it, they did. <laughs> but I think over this stretch, as they swung into action, as I said earlier in our discussion, it seems like they have a chance to pull off a pretty nice win. I did a podcast a few weeks ago, Eric, on my show, the Simply Financial show, and talked about dreaming of a soft landing. And I think the Fed is in a position to uh, do a soft landing, which means that they raise interest rates, get inflation under control, hurt the economy and weaken the economy, but not to the extent that you tip it into a nasty uh, recession. And you're kind of threading that needle really, really well. It seems like they are set up to thread the needle and create a soft landing, which would be a big win for the Federal Reserve, especially coming off of the big loss that led to this mess in the first place.
0: Yes, I would have I would have bet that they weren't going to be able to pull it off, but they've done actually an excellent job. So as we said, yo, know, Fed bashing has be has become a popular sport, but we really do need to give credit where credit is due. They have slowed the economy enough that inflation is dropping, but we have not gone into a recession, although there are still people that say a minor recession is you know on the on the horizon. That we'll have to see. And we don't know if that really has anything to do with what the Fed is doing or other macroeconomic conditions. Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. They get a lot of credit, but supply chain easing up post-pandemic, getting farther from the uh, the uh, ramifications of the economic shutdowns and the pandemic. You know, in some ways, they do have their wind at their back. But it seems like, I mean, listen, they could blow it and, and, and things could turn badly. They are in a position, though, to get credit for doing a very good job. We'll have to see how it plays out. I'm sure you and I will talk about it some more over these uh, next couple of months.
0: Absolutely. Now, I also want to talk about shareholder value. And this is something, I mean, you're a financial advisor for investors, this is very important. But we are starting to see shareholders get very angry at customers. And in fact, there are several lawsuits that are being considered against companies, because they put political considerations above shareholder value. Uh, In particular, Anheuser-Busch and Target have seen huge stock drops, share share price drops, and the valuation of their companies drop because of certain political decisions they made. Now their shareholders are starting to take action against them Because companies are owned by the shareholders. And a lot of times these management teams seem to have forgotten that.
1: Yeah. And I'll add, that's very well said. I'll add in, you know, Disney over this last stretch has had their politically driven battle with uh, governor DeSantis in Florida with their opposition to a bill that became law in Florida, you know, a couple of things. If we pan back a little bit, Eric, and look at this a little more globally, if you will, coming out of the 70s and the 80s was this idea of shareholder, that the shareholder's interest reigned supreme over other interests. And I'm thinking about, you know, I'm 52, the very influential movie Wall Street uh, with Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen And uh, Michael Douglas's character, Gordon Gecko is often kind of represents the negative part of the greedy 80s. And he famously said, you know, greed is good. But it, it kind of is an indication of this shareholder. I mean, yeah, shareholders interest come first. That has been changing, Eric, where you're substituting shareholder in terminology when corporations think about what they're doing for stakeholders. We want to yes. take good care of our stakeholders and they've kind of spread out the priori- prioritization between shareholders but also employees and also other considerations. Um ESG, being a good citizen, uh other political or societal kind of initiatives. And it puts companies in a very difficult position because when they were only looking out for the shareholders, your decisions become a little easier. Even if they're wrong, they're easier because we're going to serve the shareholder. We're going to serve the shareholder. We're going to serve the shareholder. But now that you have all of these competing priorities, It's really difficult for companies to figure out how to balance the various stakeholders. It's not easy. I feel for them. And as you described, a number of companies have gotten themselves into trouble. And you cited some great examples. There are other examples where companies didn't do anything and they had an open revolt of their employees complaining that the company did not take a stand on an issue that they thought the company should. Uh, So it's a little like a rock and a hard place. It's, it's, it's pretty nasty when a company doesn't perform well, the stock price goes down, like in this short-term case of Anheuser-Busch and target, you know, the shareholders are going to have something to say about it because they are paying the price for it. Absolutely. And yeah, there's,
0: Another side to this that I find interesting, there was a story on CNN that was covering what was going on with Disney. You mentioned their battle with Ron DeSantis. And CNN business reporters took a look at Disney and they came to the conclusion that the political fight with Ron DeSantis was actually calculated to hide the fact that their businesses were failing. Yes. So you've got all of these different audiences that a company has to deal with. And as a business coach, especially with smaller businesses, I always tell them, you know, you need to take care of your employees because the employees are the ones that are going to be taking care of the customers and the customers are going to be the ones driving values for the for the shareholders. That's right. So, I mean, that's usually the hierarchy I take. But there is a difference between taking care of your employees, making sure you know they have a good experience working with the company and they're passing that on to the customer, and jumping into every cause that an employee may feel they want to support. Yes. And it's a yep. very fine line. So, as an investment advisor, how do you advise your clients to when these events happen, when these companies, the shares are dropping, when the prices are dropping? Do you look at it as a short-term sale where it's a good uh, place to buy the company? Or do you look at it as a longer-term trend where you see, well, if they keep going down this road, the shares are going to keep dropping.
1: Yeah, that's a very good question, and it's a tough one because even just a couple of examples we gave, they're so individualized. Uh, and you you think about you know other instances. I'm 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 going through like my mental inventory. You know, uh, Meta had their issues. Twitter before they went private had their issues. You know, every situation is different. And, you know, you could have a case where, and I'm not giving specific investment advice, but you could have a company that gets in the hot water and the stock price gets beat up badly. That could be a buying opportunity because it may just be a temporary setback. It could be something that blows over rather quickly. And you could be getting really good value by buying in on the cheap. On the other hand, it could be a sign that the customers that are unhappy may not go back. I heard a good uh, interview, Eric, about one of these particular situations. I won't say which, because again, I don't want to give individual advice. But the person being interviewed was making the point that, hey, listen, customers are not happy. They're not buying the product. Uh, from that company, but they're still buying the product, they're substituting, that's the economic term, they're substituting. I I, I still need something like it, but I'm not going to choose option A, I'm going to buy option B. Well, who's to say that, even if everything blows over that you don't switch back from B to A, you might just say, eh, I'll stay with B, not because you're still mad anymore, but just because I'll just stick with B. <laughs> Uh, It's really a difficult question you're asking because every situation, every individual company is different, but generically, if you're in a diversified portfolio and you're taking good proven best practices to manage your money, so you're successful over time, then much of this becomes sort of short-term noise. Uh, A lot of people are not really investing in trading in individual stocks including making short-term trades. So that that is meaningful for a lot of people. But going back to your core question, it's really tough because all three of those instances we're talking about are all unique. And you may come to different conclusions on all three, whether you want to buy, sell, or hold.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris. And of course, as we always say when we're talking about stock matters and financial matters every situation is different check with your financial advisor before making any decisions and that's the raw naked truth you can catch every episode of the raw naked truth and simply financial at com slash podcasts the apple podcasts app Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, and other platforms that respect freedom of speech. We'll see you next time.
2: The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial.